Welcome to Recovery Uncovered, brought to you by Whiskey and Milk. I'm Adam Clark. I'm Sarah Sellers. As recovering addicts, we're on a mission to fight the stigma against addiction. And inspire those struggling by sharing the experience of real people in recovery. Because addiction doesn't discriminate. Behind every struggle, there's a person with a story. This This is Recovery Recovery Uncovered. Uncovered. Attention, now arriving at your destination, the last house on the block. Welcome back to Recovery Uncovered, episode six. I know you guys see me sitting in the chair alone right now, but we got a, a special guest with us today. Uh, Danny, coming back from behind the uh, the computer, is going to share his story of recovery, a little bit of what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, and kind of his journey into sobriety. Sure, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Daniel, uh, Danny Daniel, alcoholic, sobriety day, April 11th of 2021, and for that I'm very, very grateful. Um, uh, man, let me just first say that I absolutely love what you're doing here. Um, the world needs more people like you, uh, more people like Sarah, more people like uh, a lot of the people in this this area's um, sobriety world. Um Really appreciate it, brother. Yeah, man. I just love what y'all are doing. Um, so I guess we'll, where do you want to start? You want to? Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of leave it up to you a little bit, but just uh, like what it was like, you know, when you first started drinking and using, kind of a little bit of how that progressed and then uh, into, you know, what events occurred that kind of made you realize, all right, I, I got to do something different and then. Uh, we'll kind of wrap it off with the the recovery piece of, of what it's like now. I mean, I already know a, a, a good bit of <laughs> a good bit of it, and you know how beautiful your life is today. Yeah. Um, but for those struggling, I, th- I think it's important to to be able to relate to the what it was like before part. I know sure. for me, before I got sober, like being able to connect with another alcoholic during addict and hear their experience and them tell me that they felt the same way that I'm feeling. Hundred percent um, was super powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, I mean, probably the best, best way to sum it up. I mean, we could just say this word and then move on is messy. It was just messy, bro. Um, it, it started, um, I mean, I was, I I had this feeling that I I wasn't good enough from day one. Um, I was adopted when I was three days old, Mm. um, to an incredible family, um, just an insanely incredible family. And, um, even despite the fact that they were incredible to myself and my brother and my sister, I still had this feeling as that I, I, I wasn't lovable. I wasn't able to be loved. Um, and it, it kind of stemmed from after, you know, I realized after a lot of, um, a lot of therapy and a lot of self, uh, working on myself, it stemmed from that, being removed from my birth mom when I was so young and, um, not just, just it, it's very, very common with people that are adopted, you know? Yeah. I can only imagine. Right. So, um, I learned from a very, very young age. I mean, I, I felt, you know, I felt different from everyone. I felt, um, I, I never felt like I fit in. I felt like I had to offer you something and, and in return, I would get love from that. So I never felt as though I was, good enough for anything it was always I had to do something for you in order for you to love me mm-hmm. um, and you know that plays into when when I was in active addiction I, I just I honestly didn't have much to offer anyone and it was soul crushing you know yeah um, so um, from a very young age again like I said I was I just felt very out of place out of the you know just not normal I compared everybody's outsides to my insides and it mm-hmm. just didn't match, you know? Yeah. I relate to that big time. Right. Yeah. I still can be guilty of that. You oh know, yeah. A hundred percent. It's like, I gotta, I gotta pinch myself. Like, come on, come on, come on back down to earth. Cause this is, this is not real. What you're thinking right here. So. Yeah. Sometimes I see somebody with like a really nice car and I'm yeah. like, Oh man, they've got it so good. Right. They 
like fighting with their wife at home. And right. The kids right. don't want to talk to them. Yeah. And they're about absolutely. to get fired from their job. And I'm right. like, that Benz looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, feel good. it's completely financed. And yeah. <laughs> and it's all bullshit. And they may have missed last month's payment. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, cause just shit's real right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, um, I, I, I found, I found a lot of, um, peace in the arts. Um, I, uh, I liked, I, I kind of stumbled into photography and that became my, man, that was my identity. You know, mm-hmm. that was, um, again, it, it played into that me being able to offer someone something and I could take a photo of them and, um, and them and their parents would, would love it and, and shower me with love and affection. And it was like, yeah, that was, you know, it was yeah. just, so that really, really, um, it reinforced that, you know, I'm, I have no worth unless I can offer you something, mm-hmm. unless I can do something for you. No intrinsic value. Just exactly. What you can give. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it got to the point where, um, I was on, uh, stimulant ADHD meds from a very young age. Um, and a lot of that was my parents just trying to find a solution, trying to, I mean, I was just all over the place, man. I was nuts. I would, I remember there were times when I would get mad at my parents because I didn't get my way or something and just say awful things to them. Just you're not my parents and mm. storm away. And I know it's just soul crushing. Like, and this, my mom is probably watching this, but there was this one instance that I, I have to, I don't think I've formally made, made amends for. I was probably eight, 10 years old, maybe. And, um, I went to, uh, the Dallas zoo with our neighbors and my mom came to the Dallas zoo and I was angry at her about something. And I, I basically just yelled at her and told her to leave and she just walked away. And I, I think about that often, like what a piece of shit. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, yes, I was hurting. I was, I was sad inside and, and I didn't have any direction or, but just what a piece of shit, Yeah, you know? And, and I, I did a lot of those things, a lot of just awful, mean Awful, just mean things, man. Uh, and sorry for that, mom. Um, sorry. It took what it took in order for me to get to where I am today. And so for that, I'm grateful. But I did do some shitty things, and I'm so sorry. Um, oh, yeah, I relate to that. Like, yeah. the way I treated my mom, it was different scenario. But after my parents got divorced, like, and I just had anger towards her. Right. Like, I remember locking the door and, like, sitting with my back to it and yelling at her, you know, I hate you, and I want to go live with dad, and, like, just, you know, just mean. Yeah. Just and mean. we have a wonderful relationship now, but I still think about that stuff. Sure, man. You know, it comes back up. I'm like, man, I was such a little shit. <laughs> right, bro. And like, if I had known the whole reality of the situation, which I mean, at eight or 10 years old, you can't really right. understand. But yeah. still, like, looking back at it now with the whole picture, I'm like, golly. Yeah, right, I was, right. uh, I hope my kids never do that to me. Right, know? right. I mean, so yeah, yeah. So sorry about that, mom. Um, but doing like mean things and lashing out was a common thread throughout my whole entire story, you know, and it was, it was nothing more than me having an inability to, um, properly uh, communicate how I felt. Mm-hmm. That's what it boiled down to. Um, I, I didn't know how to say, Hey, I, I feel out of place. I'm scared. Um, I'm, I'm lonely. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I didn't know how to communicate any of that. So what do we do? We just, what do I do? I just, I, I lash out and get angry and shut down and clam up and, and it's, it's bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I started smoking weed. Weed was my, um, my number one love, you know, weed. What I found was, um, if, if things were bad, I could numb with weed. If things yep. were good, I could celebrate with weed. Weed was always there, there for me. And I'll tell you this, I've been drunk probably six or seven times in my life. Alcohol was never, I won't say it wasn't an issue because it certainly was an issue. Um, and, but I, I never, alcohol was not my drug of choice. Yeah. Marijuana was my drug of choice. A hundred percent. Now, every time I relapsed, which was often, it was with alcohol. So that's what earned me my, my seat in a, in a 12 step program. So, um, but yeah, I just, I, I smoke weed first and then, um, I, I kind of morphed into that would get me kind of down. So I would need something to get me back up. And I, I realized at a young age that, um, 
you know, while I didn't abuse the stimulant medications as a, as a kid, I, I, I do believe that that primed me for a, a stimulant addiction in the future. Um, and I, I have a hard time not being judgmental when I hear about someone being on a stimulant medication. Yeah. You know? And that's, and, and, and that's really crappy of me because I'm not everyone. Everyone is different. Everyone's sure. chemical makeup is different for some people. Stimulant medication may be the perfect thing, um, but I know for me it was not. Um, well, and you're definitely not the only person to have had that experience. Right, where right. Childhood on Adderall, Ritalin, whatever, Vyvanse, um, leads you into being willing to try harder stimulants, and, mm-hmm. you know, Coke or meth or, or whatever later on right. down the line. Yeah, and that's, that's, I mean, that's precisely what happened. You know, I, um, I, uh, I went to rehab in, in 2005. Well, let me back up real quick. Um, I, I went to, uh, the Brooks Institute of Photography and Film in Ventura, California, after I got kicked out of high school for getting in a fight, um, halfway through senior year. And, um, I went out there, I had one of those fork in the road moments. So since I got kicked out of high school, I had to either, um, go get my GED or I had to get a GED. Right? Yeah. So I was driving through Highland Park and had it scheduled. And I was in my 69 El Camino. I had a nice, just a nice bowl of weed right here. And then on the other hand, on the other side, I had to go take a test that would enable me to study photography, which I loved at the time. What do you think I did? Oh, the bowl of weed. The bowl sure. of weed, brother. Yeah, I, I would have done the same thing. If I had made it to the test, I definitely would have smoked the bowl first. But more than likely, right. I was never making it to that test center. Right, right. So get stoned, get hungry, right. and I need to watch something. You know, like, yeah, yeah so, it was over with. So that day began the 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 great lie of Danny Anderson. You know, I I told everyone that. I think I even said I did a great job on the test and oh, yeah. it was such a success. And I've heard you kind of talk about similar stuff with school and your story. And I, I, I related a lot with that cause that's what I did. I just, I lied just, I mean, I just had no shame. No, I oh, just yeah. bro. And then when I went to, when I moved out to California, um, Brooks Institute of Photography and Film was like, Hey, you know, we need your GED. And it was the, you know, it was the whole like, bro, it's, I, in the mail like it's coming like i know i was there i took it i don't maybe it's lost or something we can make a call and this went on for a little bit and um finally they were just like you need to get the you gotta go (laughs) like we're not dumb i mean it's so funny how similar we are because that's some shit i would have done like you know the postal service god government entities right nobody runs that shit like you'll get it when you get it it's fine i'll be in class right 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 so yeah 100 percent. so i had a little bit of time in california to kind of just enjoy i mean i lived like 300 yards away well when i was in school i lived on the beach like three houses away from the beach and it was just and it was incredible, just incredible in Ventura, California, like everything that I could have ever wanted, you know, good people, good food, the beach, the ocean, surfing, like, and I was just miserable, you know, mm. just miserable. And I remember this is one thing that, that, um, really, this was kind of a, a turning point in my life. I, I hadn't really done any uppers or anything other than, um, you know, my ADHD meds that I was prescribed, I had never abused them in any way, shape or form. Excuse me. And me and my roommate or my roommate, his girlfriend and I, um, we drove down to, um, Tijuana, Mexico, right? What do you do when you're in California? You go to Mexico, right? Sure. Especially with three drug addicts. So yeah, (laughs) cheap drugs. Yeah. He was, uh, God, I forget what his name was, but his parents were just loaded and we, he had like this Audi R8, like Ooh. it was just like no, it wasn't an R8. It was right below that, but just Still. just yeah. money, just bubbling out of his pores, you know. Um, and um, he, uh, so he basically funded the entire trip for all three of us, um, and that was my first experience with like someone who's unreasonably rich and unreasonably dumb, and just willing to just not dumb, but in the grips of his addiction, I should say. Yeah. So we drove down there and, um, he was big into alcohol. He got drunk and passed out. We went to some, it was, a, a strip club in, 
Tijuana. There were donkeys there. At the strip club? <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and we got an eight ball of Coke, of like great Coke. Um, yeah. And she and I, he, the, the boyfriend was passed out on the, uh, in the, we got a hotel somewhere. And so she and I did this eight ball of Coke. And I remember, I remember walking around the streets of Tijuana just on cloud nine. Yeah. Just the sun was coming up. I felt as though I knew how to speak Spanish. We were walking around. I had my camera. Like I, I just, I felt like I was just the most artistic. I mean, everything was incredible. Yeah. Everything was amazing. There was, it was just incredible. And that it was at that moment that I, I made that decision. This is always going to be a part of my life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this this is incredible it was just still to this day it, i mean it was the most incredible experience i've ever had in my life there's uh, something about that first time you do cocaine where yeah. it just makes you feel like superman right like you're on top right. of the world i mean it doesn't last no but that first time it's like oh yeah this is what i've been missing my whole life right why doesn't everybody do this right right and then like absolutely a hundred percent and then um old boy woke up i guess and i think he he wanted to go to the pharmacies and get a bunch of drugs. So we just, I mean, he spent hundreds of dollars on drugs and we drove back to, um, Ventura, just, just annihilated. I mean, everything that we could fit in our mouth, we, we fat you know, fit in our mouth. And it was just, it was insane. It was excess. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Um, and from that point on, I was always searching for that. Mm -hmm. I was searching for that, incredible experience that walk through the streets of Tijuana, Mexico at sunrise and feeling amazing. And so that's what I was always kind of looking for. And I also knew that drugs and alcohol were, were a good numbing agent for me. Mm -hmm. um, or, well, drugs more than alcohol, but certainly alcohol, if it was around, I would partake, but it was a solution for me. And that was the moment that it, that it really, really kind of clicked for me that Drugs and alcohol are a solution, and they will probably always be a solution. I can't ever s imagine a world where I won't be doing this. Yeah. You know? Um, 100%. I relate to that. That yeah. feeling of just like, I, I don't know how I would live without it. Right. You know? Right. It, it got to the point where it's like, I don't know how I can live with it anymore either. Right. But for a long time, it's like, I don't know why anybody would go through life sober. Right. Like you're just sitting there raw dog in reality. Right. Get out of here, dude. There's no way. I'm not birds, doing it. Bro. It's yeah. for the birds. Yeah. So um I got kicked out of got kicked out of uh Ventura and I was living with some girl that was in the school, I think, and then I got like I don't remember what happened. She was I guess she was finally like, like, bro, what are you doing here? Like, you know, uh and, uh, and then I got an apartment by myself and, and I was alone the vast majority of the time I would ride my bike a lot, um, go eat some tacos on main street and then just ride my bike for hours on end. And, um, were you working all, all during this time? I refinished tubs for a little while. Um, and that's another thing that, uh, that will play into the, the whole scene here in just a minute. But, um, yeah, I was, I was more, um, no, I, I I didn't have a solid job. Yeah. I was kind of my parents. I feel like they wanted nothing more than my brother, my sister, and I to feel loved, mm -hmm. and they were willing to do whatever it took for us to feel loved. And if that meant sending a hundred dollars a day so I can do whatever I want during the day then they were going to do that because yeah. they were not going to be those people that adopted kids. And then those kids didn't feel loved. Mm, yeah. You know, they kind of had some, some sort of guilt. Right. Going on behind right. The scenes and, there. and I don't blame them. You know, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, was it enabling? Sure. Um, but and again, you know, it, it, everything happened the way it was supposed to. And, and today I'm, I'm proud of who I am. So, it, it, you know, we can't, we can't regret the past, but it is what it is. That's what mm -hmm. happened. So no, I didn't work. Um, I refinished tubs for a little bit and, um, there was one day that, um, there was this guy, Stuart that used to, um, stack like rocks on the beach for tips. 
and he was always smoking a joint and I was needing a new weed guy. And so I went and made friends with him. I was very effective at becoming friends with people who are in areas that I may need to tap into. You know, I think that's a common theme with a lot of people perhaps in, in addiction is we kind of, we go and, and are really, really great to people that can serve us, you know, absolutely um, kind of have that, uh, put on this mask to talk to right, this right, person right. and then this mask for this person. Right. So you become a chameleon uh-huh. and what that Fit leads to is to. right. And, and what that leads to is being completely inauthentic and being un, being unable to know who you are. So, mm-hmm. um, this guy, Stuart, I, we became friends and he was homeless and I let him come up to the apartment and take a shower. Um, and, um, in return, he could come and do that if he would help me with the tub business. So he was kind of like my assistant, if you will, or helper. And that didn't last too long, but there was one time where he came up to the house and, um, he had a little, uh, uh, foil bag or not baggy, but you know, a little foil, but you know, folded up. Yeah. Like made a bag out of foil. Right, right. Right. And he was like, bro, you gotta, you gotta try this. And I was like, what, what is this? And he's like, just try it. Just try it. Of course, I'm gonna try it. Yeah, <laughs> what you just, like I fought it a like I wanted. No, I didn't. I I don't even think I did that. I was just like, yo, bring it over here. What is this? That's so funny how that the addict mind works. Yeah, my brain's too like, yeah, send it, dude. Right, let's right. let's try this unknown mystery. <laughs> yeah, I don't in even. The bag. And that's another. It, it's abundantly clear that I would be dead today if I was still in active addiction. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, especially normal all this. people don't think that. No, way. they don't. No, They're no, like, no, Bro, no, no. Get out of my house. Right, right. Get this shit out of here. <laughs> We're like, well, will it make me feel good? Homeless man with a bag of drugs in my house. What could go wrong? Sure, I'll take two. Yeah, so, uh, right. So he chopped it up, and sure enough, it was uh, like pure, like unadulterated meth. Mm. Um, uncut, just like straight off the the trailer, you know? Um, the trailer. <laughs> and, and um, I mean multiply that experience that I had in Mexico with Coke, multiply that times about 10. Mm -hmm. And that's what that meth was. Um, and, and then it was just like, I was just, I mean, why would you not want to be on something that makes you feel so incredible? Yeah. Um, why would you not? Uh, and kind of, as you know, like that, that being high and that feeling of, being incredible is not sustainable. It's just not. So you're going to come down. Right. Uh, and I did, I came down hard and, um, I drove to, uh, San Francisco, had some drugs with me, ran out of drugs. I was too afraid to try to comp anymore. I was afraid of getting arrested. So I reached out to my parents and, you know, pulled the whole, like, I think I'm going to kill myself. Um, just desperate for just a cry for help, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so they had my old youth pastor. Uh, oh, and before this, I was on this like Christian singing and dancing group that I auditioned for. It's so weird, bro. So weird. It was called the Continentals, and okay. it was a three month tour. Um, and like we trained for two two weeks in Oxnard, California, and then went on this ninety day tour. And we wound up in like forty two of the fifty states, and then wound up in um, flew from L.A. We went from L.A. to New York, and then back to L.A. Hopped on a plane, went to Africa, went to Nairobi, Kenya, uh, went to the base of Mount Kilimanjaro, like all in the name of God, like, you know, went to. So were you high throughout all of that? No, no, I was completely no? sober. Okay. Yeah, I was completely sober throughout that whole entire process. Um, and, and I actually felt really, really great, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, but found my way back to weed, found my way back to stimulants and was down at rock bottom again. So. Uh, my parents ripped me out of California. I uh, went to a psych ward in Dallas. Um, and how are we doing on time? Oh, we're good. Okay. It's funny. You just said youth pastor. My old youth pastor commented there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's a trip. <laughs> um, so I, I wound up in Ventura, I mean, uh, in Dallas at uh, psych ward. And then I wound up at Solutions Outpatient in Dallas. Um and they asked me if I could stop smoking weed for, for 24 hours. And at this point, I was like 19 years old, 20 years old, maybe. And I kind of laughed in their face. Well, the next day, I was on a plane to Brandon, Mississippi. 
Um, and I went to Copac in 2005. Um, I didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to be there. Um, my dad bought me a plane ticket and, um, my counselor, my parents and I were just here, or my parents were just in town a couple of weeks ago and they told me this story. I didn't know this, but, uh, my counselor, Mark Levine called my dad up and said, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> my dad was like, what? Like, like, why did you buy him a plane ticket? Like you are killing him basically yeah. if you let him do this. Um, so that plane ticket got torn up and, uh, I was committed there at Copac for 90 days, I think, or 90 days, I think. Okay. Didn't want to be there. Um, I was just a pissed off little bumblebee, you know? Um, and, uh, did 90 days there and then, uh, got an apartment over on pear orchard and started, uh, relapsed on alcohol and, um, and then went and found some Xanax and um, totaled a car that they had just bought me, a little uh, Volkswagen Passat, totaled that on the spillway. Um, just It was just, it was mania. You know, it was just absolutely mania. There was no, there was nothing good that came about it uh, or came from, from that time other than me learning what not to do in the future, you know. Um, so do you feel like you got anything out of the mm-hmm. that first run in treatment, like those 90 days? Did some yeah. of that stick with you when you started using again? Or? Yeah, 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 absolutely. That was a, um, I don't know if it was worth the, what, like $60,000, $60,000 that they paid for yeah, it? I, probably not. I think I could have probably learned those lessons for a slightly smaller amount of money somewhere else. But, um, you know, it took what it took. They were willing to, you know, help out and um, they you know, they weren't well, uh, seated in Al-Anon like they are today. Um, like that, that kind of behavior today would not be tolerated. Yeah. It wouldn't be co-signed. They've learned how to set boundaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. And detach with love. Like they're, you know, they're very, they're actually quite efficient at that. Um, and you know, they, they have to, you know, it's dealing with some stuff with family and, um, you know, it's kind of a tough time. And fortunately they're able to kind of learn from what worked with me and, and what didn't work with me and apply that to what's, what's uh, kind of going on right now. And, um, so stayed sober or, uh, relapsed, um, within two weeks, uh, I had gotten a DUI. Um, I was in jail. I asked the, uh, it was just a mess. And I went back to Copac, um, stayed sober from that point for like two years. And then here comes the, I started a business, um, and, uh, got to the point where the, I wasn't happy. And the, the thought that maybe stimulants might be a good solution for me started to creep back in. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went and got on stimulants and I got a prescription for Vivance and, um, so you started back with them the legal route, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, everything was fine. Like I didn't, uh, no, I won't say everything was fine. I didn't abuse them for mm-hmm. like two years. Okay. Um, and my business was growing. Um, I was kind of just an awful like boyfriend and partner. And I mean, in hindsight, I was kind of just awful. Um, but I was happy. You know, yeah. um, you had your solution. I was happy, you know, and it got to the point where I would have larger jobs and business would begin to get, uh, more busy and, um, I would, you know, pop maybe one more and then, you know, that would go on for a little while, I'd pop a little bit more at the end of the month, I'd crash and wouldn't have any. And then, you know, I'd be kind of just sad and depressed and pretty quickly I learned that, or I didn't learn, but I, I, uh, got to a point where I was so desperate that I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that if I could find some meth here in Mississippi, it would take the, it would take the place of that Adderall that, mm-hmm. that I've taken too many of. And that's what I did. And I just, I started taking meth. I uh, found some, found a dude, a few dudes and just got, got on meth. And that's where the, it was just a huge, just a monumental decline. Everything in my life was shit. Um, I somehow kept the business running kind of, um, and it was just awful. Life was just awful. I was a piece of shit to live with. I was not a good, at this point we had, 
had our son. We had our son when uh, we were 21. And um, I wasn't a good dad. I was a kind of a, just, just a jerk, man. Just yeah. an awful, kind of just disgusting person. And just um, completely engulfed with shame. Um, shame was the name of the game. Everything I did was, was a shame-based reaction to something else. Just a snowball of, of toxicity. It's crazy how our, our brain works. We're like, because when you said like, oh, you know, I had this idea that like, I'll just get some meth and mm-hmm. that'll fix it. Like, right. It was like, it wasn't a hard decision. like, yeah. your meth is your solution. Right, right. But I had that same moment with heroin. Like right. the first time I did yes. it, I was like, dude, this is going to save me so much money. <laughs> right, exactly. This is I'm a like, smart business. What? Smart business decision yeah. here. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Been there. <laughs> We were insane, dude. Right. Yeah. There's no two ways around it. But again, yeah. I can't stress enough. It took what it took for us to be where we're at now. Absolutely. So, um, and, um, you know, I, uh, we, my uh, wife and I uh, went through a divorce uh, in 2016. And um, that was a result of, of me just being back in my active addiction. You know, like I just, it was, I mean, it, it takes two to tango, but she was sober and I was not. So who do you think is probably more at fault for the, the demise of the relationship? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I got to be realistic about that. Um, but, um, so that's, that's kind of what it was like. And, and it can all be summed up by me winding up at our house. Um, just wanting to kill myself and, and being in a position. I actually had a, like a rental house, a few houses or a few streets away from where we were living. I moved out um, so I could kind of be close to our son and my parents paid for that, that house completely 100%, 1500 bucks a month. Um, just, they just like, it's just what happened. Um, yeah. In their eyes at this point, like they want, they wanted the best for our son. So they uh, were willing to, and, and they granted, they thought I was sober. I was going to ask, did yes. they know? About, no. you know, like the relapses or the periods in between. Yeah, and, no, no. I, so they I, thought you had maintained Well, sobriety. I don't think, they may have, they may have had an idea. They probably did have an idea. They're not stupid. Sure. Um, but I was, I was trying to hide it. And like, I would, we had this like weekly um, call with the, um, the director at the Solutions Outpatient or the, or, or not the director, but the, the owner of Solutions Outpatient in Dallas. And I just, I remember us being on that call talking about sobriety and stuff and me just hitting the meth pipe, like as we're having that call, you know, Mm -hmm. um, just, I was just a mess, you know? Yeah. And, um, it just got to a point where I, um, uh, drugs and alcohol, I knew beyond the, beyond everything that drugs and alcohol are never going to be a solution for me again. Mm. But I was still holding on to that old, that the whole idea that, okay, I kind of was beaten down enough to, to believe that drugs and alcohol are not going to be a problem, but maybe, maybe weed, since it's natural, maybe I can just, maybe I can just like smoke like, like at night after mm-hmm. everybody's asleep, maybe, maybe just like once a week, Yeah, you know, just to kind of like, to re- rationalize yeah, still. just to kind of like reset. I mean, weed's natural. It, it doesn't hurt anybody. Like I'm not hurting anybody. Like I'll stay away from the meth and Adderall and all that stuff, but let me just hold on to that. Let me just smoke a little weed every once in a while. Oh, dude, the amount of times I tried that argument with my parents, like, <laughs> weed comes from the earth, man. It says <laughs> yeah. in the Bible that God right. granted us every seed-bearing plant on the <laughs> right. earth, you know. I think he was talking about the ganja. Like, <laughs> right. Did he say that you should roll it and smoke it, <laughs> right. set it on fire, and inhale the smoke into your lungs? Right. Like, I don't remember that verse. I don't, yeah. But I sure tried that argument. Yeah. And I tried doing that, too. Like, oh, I'll just smoke weed. and Yeah. But my life still would go to shit. You know, yeah. I still couldn't hold it together yeah. and the power to you. If, you know, if, if there's people sure, out there who can, sure. like, I'm not, uh, I'm not hating on it, but for me, even when it was just the weed, like life fell apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't smoke like a gentleman Yeah, and, and <laughs> not um, at all. smoke like a junkie, <laughs> just a, a dirty washed up junkie is what I, yeah. that's what I, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't able to make any progress until, I made that decision that weed, I had made the decision that drugs and alcohol in general are never going to be a solution, but I was still 
holding on desperately to that idea that I could just smoke every once in a while. And it wasn't until I had some success with like relative sobriety and then just smoking. Like I did it. I got, I did just that. I stayed away from drugs and I just smoked weed in the evenings Mm -hmm. and the same thing happened. Yeah. I wanted to kill myself. Same misery. And I would, same misery. And I would eventually get to a point where I would just, you know, I would go from smoking at night to also like, you know, you got to like wake and bake on the weekends at least. Oh, like yeah, for sure. You know, like how it only you, makes sense. Right. And then, okay, well, I'll, maybe I'll just do it this Monday and then I won't do it until Saturday. And then, you know how it is. Yeah. Monday rolls into Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday <laughs> right, Friday. Right. And it's just one big bong rip, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so, and my life just goes to shit. So, um, it was important for me to get to that realization that, that marijuana is no, also never going to be a solution for, mm-hmm. me. Uh, for me. You know, like you said, I, I, I echo that, you know, there, there's a lot of people that smoke weed. There's a lot of people that it doesn't cause any harm to them in any way, shape or form. But I would encourage those people to be honest with themselves. 100%. Ab- about if, if weed is really good for you or if it's just something that you're unwilling to work on yourself and it's an effective numbing agent for you. Yeah, because that's what it was for me. Even before I added in the the other substances, you know, I didn't, I didn't do the same things on weed that I did on heroin or other. Like I didn't steal from my family, you know. I, right. I didn't crash cars. I didn't get arrested. Uh, I actually I did get arrested for possession one time. Um, but like it, you know, the the consequences on the outside weren't as bad. But I was still just using it as an escape. Right. Uh, and that's a really dangerous place for me to be in, no matter what I'm using. If I'm right. doing anything to try to escape my current reality, then there's obviously something I'm missing that I need to be working on in here. Right. And I I have to be, man, I've been praying about this and um, today. And, you know, I um, I feel like this is, I feel like it's common for a lot of people. Um, and it kept me from long-term sobriety for a very long time. And my hope in sharing this is um, I may take a hit, but maybe it will help someone else find their path. Um, and honestly, I genuinely don't give a fuck if people judge me because of this, because it made me who I am and it was important for me to, have these experiences in order for me to have long-term sobriety. So I had some, um, when I was younger, I had experiences with, with a dude, like an older dude. Um, and, um, it was, um, it was, it created a tremendous amount of shame. And I, um, I, I hid that very, very close. And what, what happened was I would, for some reason it was such a traumatic experience for me. I was like 15, I guess. And it was such a traumatic experience for me. Like I didn't think so at the time, but, um, anytime in the future, like when I would get sober, I would be terrified that people would find out about Mm -hmm. that. Like what would people think? People would think I'm gay. People would think less of me. People would think all sorts of awful shit. And I was never willing to get honest about that with anyone. Yeah. Um, same. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it was, it was hard and I wasn't able to break through until I became at peace with those parts of me that, that did those crazy things as a child. And what I realized was if I can be open and honest about that and help someone else, then that experience is now profitable to me. Mm-hmm. And that's my ultimate goal. I had a gentleman that was working for me and he told my story. He was in recovery. He told my story and he was talking to me about how um, he was about to do a fist step and he didn't really, he wanted to do it with a priest because he, he was so embarrassed about something in his past that, that he did that he, he just couldn't be honest with his sponsor about that. And that was just like, bing, 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 like, bro, like that's exactly. And we were working at a vacant house. So it was like a safe it was a safe time for us. And he, he got honest with me about having the exact same experience that mm. I had. And I was able to just calmly and peacefully say, man, I did the same thing. You know, 
and you don't have to hide it. You don't have to, the world is a completely different place now. Like you can be honest, you can work through that stuff and it doesn't have to control who you are or what you do in the now or ever. Yeah. And so God was able to use that to help someone else. And hopefully that person has, was able to become at peace with those parts of them that were uh, different from perhaps everyone else or different they thought from everyone else, but you know, so much power in that. And like when you unload that thing that you feel like is your deepest, darkest secret and it makes me different and I'm dirty because of it. And Mm -hmm. then somebody else can say, yeah, man, I've been there too. Mm -hmm. Like it just sucks all the power right away from it. You know, Uh, I had that, that same experience with, you know, sexual abuse at a young age that I, I didn't even put on my fourth step. And, Thankfully, I stayed lo- sober up until I, you know, eventually admitted it to somebody, but I admitted it to a sponsee because he, he admitted it to me and was telling me all the shame he felt about it. And then I was able to say, you know, me too, man. Like I, I had not the same experience, but a similar one. And then after that one conversation with him about it, I shared it on the podcast multiple times. <laughs> yeah. I shared it from the podium. Yeah. I'll talk to anybody about it. It yeah. has absolutely zero power over me anymore. Exactly. But it held so much. Right. Uh, and it held so much power in the way that I looked at myself. Mm-hmm. Like I looked at myself different because of it. And because right. I looked at myself different, I thought that you would look at me different exactly. because of it. Exactly. And it's just not the case. Right. And it And it wasn't until I was willing to give that to God that I was able to to start my journey. You know, it, it wasn't until I was able to give that away um, and be void of any fear of that coming back to haunt me in the future. Um, today, I genuinely don't give a fuck what people think about me. What's important to me today is that I'm helpful to other people. 100%. I just don't give a shit if you don't like me. I don't give a shit if you don't approve of who I am or what I do. I genuinely don't care because in my heart I know that God has given me this incredible gift and I want to use it to help as many fucking people as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And what you think of me has no bearing on how I think about myself today. Well, I don't get my value from people anymore. Exactly. You know, that's that's the big kicker is that you know, I, I realized intrinsically through God, I, I have value. And that's that's where I'm trying to align myself, mm-hmm. not with what whoever thinks about me or doesn't like about me or like, that's fine. Like, I know who I am today and I'm okay looking in the mirror today and, and seeing the man that looks back at me. So like, if you don't like me, like, bye. Right, you know? right, right, right. Who cares? And it's not that I, 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 I still desperately want you to love me. Oh, 100%. But if you don't, go yourself. Yeah. yeah. Like it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I have plenty of people who do. Right, right, right. And like people who genuinely love me. Right. And I don't have to doubt, you know, whether what they tell me they feel about me is is the truth anymore. Because that was when I was using like, you know, I had those fair weather friends, the good time buddies. and uh, But then when I got sober, they all disappeared. Right. And like. You know, we have friends nowadays who, no matter what I'm going through, like, they'll show up. Even if I tell right. them not to show up, they'll be like, They're Bitch, even I'm more going to show up. Yeah, yeah, like, get out of here. Yeah. I'm, com- I'm on my way already. Right, Just unlock yeah. your door. Yeah. Like, Fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, like, that's one of the things, like, what it's like today is it's freedom, you know. Um, is everything perfect? No. Like, shit is hard. Mm-hmm. A lot. But... Today, the difference between today and what it was like before was before I was searching for comfort at all times. I needed to, I needed comfort. I needed security. I needed to, I needed more money because that made me feel secure that I was a good man. I needed more of everything because that would make me feel okay. And today in sobriety, I actively search out opportunities for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, the ice bath being one of those things. I started it, what, seven months ago, uh, and I haven't missed a day since I started. Um, and, like, we we t- went on vacation to Texas. I 
drained it, threw it in the back of the truck, and took us took it with Brought us. Brought it with to, you. Yeah, like that's awesome. It's like it's it's, and and what that taught me, if you've never did a cold plunge, you've how are we doing on time? Forty. Okay, good. Oh yeah, we're good. We're good. Uh, if you've never done a cold plunge, what it does is it teaches you to sit in that extreme discomfort because when mm-hmm. you get in that water at forty two degrees, your body is literally telling the telling you that you are going to die yeah and you need to get out immediately and with great vigor now or you're going to die and what you train yourself to do is to be able to sit with that you know that the ice bath has been an incredible tool for me in my own personal growth and and becoming at peace with every part of me talking about internal family systems all of my parts we all have a meeting up at the uh, up at the table once a week and if there's if anybody has any concerns, I run to that guy and I ask him how I can help him. Today, there's no internal strife. There's no internal misery. There's no nobody's talking negatively about each other. So the ice bath allows me to kind of sit in that in that discomfort, yeah, and learn to appreciate that discomfort because I know on the other side of that, I'm going to feel better mentally, physically. Um, but I have to sit in this right now, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to suck, like. Not once have I gotten in there and be like, oh, you know what? I really enjoy this. Yeah, this is great today. This is fantastic. And the mere fact that I actively search out and, and I do that without fail, um, that's a good indicator to me that that I have fundamentally changed who I am. I have it. God has changed who I am. And today in sobriety, I'm a person that's not searching for comfort. I'm also, I'm, I'm very much searching for discomfort because in discomfort, that's where I have the maximum growth. Yeah. Um, so are things great all the time? No. Do I have problems? Yes. Am I going through transition periods right now and it's really, really hard? Yes. But today I have these tools that the program has given me and I can, um, I can, I can sit with that discomfort. I don't have to numb. I don't have to, well, I'll just smoke a little weed, at, you know, after everybody goes to sleep and I'll be able to kind of go to sleep and, and, you know, I'll be able to decompress. I just need to be able to decompress, mm-hmm. right? I don't need to do that today. There's so much value in doing uncomfortable things. It's one of the things my first sponsor told me. He's like, you just got to do that uncomfortable shit. Right. Just do it. Right. And like like you said with the ice bath, like, you know, training your mind to realize that like, this sucks. This is miserable. This is uncomfortable. Every cell in my body is telling me, get up, get out, run, stand next to a heater. But then also like, learning that discomfort doesn't mean I'm going to die. Right. Like it's not the end of the world. You know, when I was drinking and using, I was always chasing comfort. I was always trying to ease some sort of pain. And like you said, like not every day is just wonderful today. Sometimes I go to work and I'm like, I hate this place. I hate everybody in here. (laughs) This sucks. I don't know why I work here. And like, that's a job that I prayed to get. Right. You know, I, I I can still go from grateful to ungrateful so quick. Sure. But the benefit of being able to be okay, even when the world around me seems like it's crashing down, like that's something that I never had before Mm -hmm. to not have to run, to not have to hide, to not have to escape. Um, I I love that. I didn't realize that you've been doing the ice bath every single day. I knew, uh, I knew you'd gotten big into it. Bro, I'm a drug addict. Like when I find something that is, that, that is good for me, whether or not it's comfortable or not, like I'm going to latch onto that thing. I feel that. I'm gonna latch on, bro. Yeah, anything that gives me a little, uh, little feel good, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. let's go again. And it's great because like it's still hard, so it's like me doing great stuff, and like I feel our hard stuff, which I think is is incredible. To to your to your point, it's incredibly important for me to have hard things in my life and to do hard things because me just trying to be comfortable all the time, that's that's gonna that's gonna wind me up to that old guy and yeah. I'm willing to do anything and everything in order to not go back to that guy. Amen. I'm grateful for that guy. I'm grateful for all of the shit that he did, but it's unfortunate that it happened, but it made me who I am today. And today I feel like we can be proud of who we are. And like you said, look in that mirror and not hate every cell in that body. But in actuality, kind of like that person and be proud of the person that, that, that that's looking back at us and, now be able to turn those negative ex- experiences that we had when we were in active addiction into something that's profitable for us and to be able to help other people who may be going through the same thing. That's that's the most beautiful part out of all of it to me, you know. 
I, I agree a hundred percent with what you said. Like I wouldn't go back and change any of it. Do I regret some of the behaviors? A lot of them. 100%. But like those behaviors, those situations, those experiences made us into the men sitting here across from each other talking. And now we both spend a good portion of our time trying to share our story, carry this message to other people who are still sick and suffering, dealing with exactly what we went through. And we've gotten to see the benefits of it. You know, when, when you get to share something like, like, you know, something where sexual abuse or like, I remember speaking at a meeting when I, I don't know, I hadn't been sober super long, like maybe a year. And I shared about stealing from my grandmother. And that was something I had so much shame over. I'm right. like, who on this earth would steal from an 80 year old woman with dementia? Well, and I shared that. And I would somebody, have had I had the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. We all would have. Yeah. But uh, I still thought I was different. Right. But, in, you know, every time I, I share something like that, that I feel like makes me bad or makes me awful inevitably somebody talks to me afterwards and they're like hey man i really appreciate you sharing that i stole from my grandma too and i thought i was the only one Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you you can see the the light switch back on of like all right maybe i can do this thing um and that that to me makes it all worth it absolutely you know if there's any part of it that any part of the the whole recovery process that that makes it all worth it, it's being able to help somebody else get out of it. Right. Um, Because if I can't do that, if I don't share my story, then like, what was it all for? You know, exactly. It gives it all purpose and meaning. That's that's what it's all about, being able to share our stories and and give back to those that are still suffering. Um, I'm, I'm unbelievably grateful today for everything that God has put in my, in my path, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. Um, I'm, I'm just unbelievably grateful for sobriety. And, and one thing that I, I definitely want to want to stress real quick here, uh, and I'm going to say this and then I'm going to hop over there and, and you can kind of wrap it up and then we'll cut it out. But, um, I want, I want to be very clear that in my story, and this is not anything that, uh, this is, this is, I'm not a representative of recovery uncovered or whiskey and milk or anything. But for me, Alcoholics Anonymous was my solution. I tried faith-based and it didn't work because I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. My best friend tried AA. It didn't work because he wasn't ready. It didn't work until he went to a a faith-based program. There's, there's smart programs. There's all these different programs. And, and I say all this to say just because AA worked for me doesn't mean it has to work for you. And if you can find a path to sobriety for long-term sobriety and it works for you, I support that 100%. Oh, you yeah. will never, ever hear me talk negatively about any path to, to, to long-term sobriety. If it works for you, I'm proud of you. I support you and I'm here for you no matter what. A hundred percent. You know, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's so many, so many different paths that we can take to recovery, so many different 12 step and, and other recovery programs. And each one of them that, that gets you off of the streets, gets you out of that old life that we used to live. It is absolutely beautiful and it absolutely has value. Um, and again, I just want to say, you know, I really appreciate you uh, coming from behind the computer this week and hopping in the chair with me, Danny. I had a, a guest kind of had to, uh, make a change of plans last minute. So Danny came in clutch. Um, But, you know, uh, I guess uh, we're going to wrap it up here and we'll see you guys next week. Attention, now arriving at your destination, the last house on the block.